you got a Bible, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I know we've been in Exodus for a while, but uh, we're going to take a little jaunt over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, it'll be on the screen here for you in a second. I'm just very glad to be with you today. Um, I need to give you an update because today I want to talk about three things in particular, okay? So don't count, don't, you know, when you say three things, you're like, when you get to the third one, you're like, yeah, he's almost done. Okay, just, just, I, I give you the points that's going to be there, how many there are, so don't, don't keep too close to count, but three things. I want to talk about thankfulness, I want to talk, I want to talk about unity, and I want to talk about a cross-centered life. Thankfulness, unity, and a cross-centered life. And I need to start off with my own thankfulness. Um, this last Monday, um, I got attached to a chemo tube for my last time, hopefully. So I want to let you know that I haven't put updates in a while, but um, I'm still taking the pills. I'm be done. I have a scan in September, but that's over for me right now. And I'm just thankful that is. And thank you guys for all the love and prayer and support and meals and phone calls and checking on me and saying, get off the ladder and whatever else you've done. I, I, I love you very much, and I'm thankful that God has given me this extra time um, to be here on this earth with you guys and my family. So I just want to tell you that I'm thankful for that, but I'm also thankful today for this church and, I, and for, for, for many, 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 many reasons. But I, I thought the best way is, you know, you, don't, you didn't come to hear from me. We came to hear from the Lord. And how we hear from the Lord is through his word and the Holy Spirit working through that. And so we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 beginning in verse four. And Paul is writing to a church. Now this church is a troubled church. Um, but he also, but in this troubled church that he writes to in the, in the town of Corinth, um, he has a lot of love for them. And I want you to see that in verse four, the apostle Paul writes on the inspiration of the Holy spirit. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given to you in Christ Jesus that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So I want you to know something. This particular church is a troubled church. You may know some troubled people. When you get that call that shows up on your caller ID, when you see that name, you're like, I don't know if I'm picking that up right now. I might let that go to voicemail or let them text me. I know you don't do that, but maybe I do that, okay? And you're like, I don't know. Does anybody do that? Okay, guys, everybody look at me. I don't know. What is a cell phone? I've never heard of that. So when you see that name, you're like, oh, this is trouble. When Corinth would call or send a letter, there was trouble. But Paul does not focus on the difficulties going on in that church. He will address those. The whole book of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians is him addressing problems in the church, but also not just addressing the problems, but taking them, every thought, captive to Jesus. And in this particular part, he starts off the letter with a thankfulness for what God is doing in the church. I want you to get something. God is at work in every church that calls upon his name. In every church that trusts the gospel, God is at work. You may not see that work. In some places, it's harder to see God at work than other places, but God is at work. And I want you to know something. God is at work in this church in Corinth, and he is at work in this church, and there is reason to be thankful. And here is the reason, because the grace of God has been revealed. Do you know something? 
there is a tendency to think when we get on our Sunday 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 best, okay? And all you guys are looking good. I mean, I got the I got the bird's eye view. You're looking good. There is this tendency to think that when we walk in, we roll in, that we need to either look like we got it together, or maybe even we're deluded enough to think we have it together. But the gospel reminds us that we need the grace of God. Because what Paul says, I give thanks to God, not because you always behave like you ought to, Corinthians, not because you always do the right thing, not because you always believe what you ought to believe, not because of that. Here is why he is thankful. I give thanks to God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given to you in Jesus Christ. That in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. So God has given you grace in Jesus. But not only that, he gives his people in his church. He gives them the knowledge they need of the scriptures of God and of all the spiritual gifts they need. Then it says in verse 6, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as you wait for Jesus to come back, he's given you everything you need. Verse 8, he says this, who will, who is doing this? Jesus, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit will sustain you to the end. Will sustain you to the end. We were working in the building yesterday on one of our church work days. There is no AC in that building yet. There will be. Okay, you're thinking, oh, crap, we're moving over there, and there's, there's no AC. It's going to be there eventually. Praise God. There's an AC company that owns the building. We're in, we're, it's going to be good. Okay, you're, it's going to be frosty. You're going to love it, all right? But when we were working over there, there was not a lot of airflow. And there was a lot of work being done, and there was a lot of sweat being perspired, if you will. It was warm. It was hot. And right after lunch, like we were really energetic until lunch hit. And then we ate lunch, and then automatically, I guess all the blood flows to your stomach to help you digest. And we were all moving a little bit slower and slower. And then by the end, when we have reached the final beam that we have to put up at for this work day. Okay. As that was going in, there was a look on everybody's face with of determination. And also, can we go home? <laughs> like I'm ready to go home. I could see it on everybody's face. There was determination to get it done. If you were there, maybe I'm reading into this a little bit much, but I think it was there. We were all like, okay, let's get this thing up. Let's get it done. Let's go home. And let's, but you know what happened? Instead of us going like, let's go home. We persevered to the end. And that is what Jesus is doing in our churches, in our lives. There are seasons of ups and seasons of downs. There are seasons where you're feeling close to the Lord and seasons where you're feeling far away. There are seasons when things are going well and there are seasons where things are not going well. But the promise of this church is not in, in their faithfulness necessarily. It's in the faithfulness of Christ. All of our hope is built on Jesus. Our hope is not we get together and look good. Hope is not when we get together and we just, we come and we like each other. That's not our hope. Our hope is in the firm foundation of Jesus. And we can be thankful that he will sustain us till the end. You got that? That's a good word. Because when you get to that point where you just don't think you can take another step forward, he is the one keeping us there. God is at work in his church, giving the gifts that we need, sustaining us spiritually by his grace, not any good that we have done, but all of his grace. And we are being sustained, being able to keep going that extra bit by 
the Lord and he will keep us until the end. And it says in verse eight, who will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then it says this again, this is not about the faithfulness of the Corinthians or the faithfulness of any believer. It's about God's faithfulness to us. In verse eight, it says this, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So here's the greatest thing our fellowship is not just with one another. It's with Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is with us. He can concerned about us. We've been adopted into the family and he loves us. He cares for us. Listen, some people are just naturally kid people. You know, those type of people when they walk in, like, it's kind of like a Disney princess when they walk out and a Disney princess, and they walk out and the birds kind of come to them. There are some people when they walk out, kids are like, I like that person. Okay. As you can probably tell, I'm very loud. Okay. I'm kind of in your face. Kids sometimes like me, sometimes are afraid of me. I'm not naturally a kid person. I do love kids, but I'm not naturally like one of those ones that like walks out and like everybody's like, yeah, he's here to play. It's more like oh, he's here and he's loud. Okay. There are some people that are just naturally just that way. This, that, those are, they, they're just the, those type of people, those kids, people, they are in, they, they are, uh, those who are just f- faithful people of it. But here, here's the thing that, that. God is faithful to us. And he's called us in the fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Some people it's really easy to be in fellowship with. Just like some people are really kid people and some people are really warm and open and some people are not. But our fellowship does not depend on our goodness. It depends on God's. And so our faith, our fellowship, our oneness together is a gift of his because we're all very different. Some of you, listen, I'm about to say some things and I don't want any hooting and hollering on this, okay? Some of you are going to vote for somebody's party who's related to an elephant in in 2020 and some of you are going to vote for somebody's party who's got a a donkey and some of you are going to vote for parties that you don't even care about. And listen, in this church, okay, there are going to be people all across that spectrum. You know that. What brings us together In America, it will never be politics. In the world, it will never be politics. What brings us together is Christ. What brings us together is a full fellowship. And that should transcend all party lines in the sense of there are things in both parties that are wrong and sin, and we need to call them that. And there are things in both parties that we need to commend because it shows the faithfulness and character of God. And so what's going to, we're going to come to a season of division where we're going to be more and more divided in this nation. But the church, we have a fellowship that's not centered on a political ideology, but on Christ, the risen son of God. And it doesn't matter if we're a kid person or not, or if we are an easy person to get along with or not. There is a fellowship that comes from Jesus that is to be in the church. And we should be thankful for a diverse group of people that God is bringing together. Now, and we should also be seeking more diversity because here's the cool thing. There is neither slave nor Greek nor Jew or Gentile in Christ. There is this huge family. It's this huge party. It's this huge group fellowship in the sun. Have you ever been to a kid's party and the kids are, thank you, they have. You've been to a kid's party and the kids are really jazzed to go, but you don't know anybody at the kid's party. 
So you're at the kid's party and you don't know anybody and everybody else knows each other, but you don't know them. If you've never done that, it's real fun. Okay. It's not awkward at all. That, that is, that is sometimes how we feel about life in the church. But the fellowship that is rooted in Christ should never feel like that. It feels like strangers and neighbors becoming the sons of God, entering into a family with each other. And I'm thankful. And I'll tell you why I'm thankful. I'm thankful for a lot of things. I'm thankful that God is at work here in our midst. I'm thankful that we do have a fellowship. Is it perfect? No. Do we have issues? Yes. Is God at work? Absolutely. Is he, has he given you spiritual gifts and ability to serve? Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's going to be taxed in the next several months. Just to let you know all of ours, but it's going to be for his glory, not ours. Has oh, we got things to be thankful about? Absolutely. After, after more than eight years here, we are finally getting to go to a place and firmly plant ourselves in this community, which we love. And we're going to have to, we're going to stop worrying about if the roof's going to hold and we can start worrying about how we can build the kingdom full time. We have got so much, so much to be thankful for. We got one another. We've prayed for one another. We've loved one another. We've done baby showers. Lord knows we've done baby showers for everybody. And if you didn't get one, come talk to us. We'll get you one, okay? Because we love babies here, as you can tell. And, and we, we, it's so great. Here, I'm tell you what I've seen so many times. People come to baby showers and be like, I don't know the person. Who is it? And they already have brought a gift. And I'm like, I love you. Thank you. That is grace right there. That's fellowship in the son, Jesus Christ, because it's not, I don't know the person, but I'm bringing a baby gift. Why? Because they're in the fellowship. That is God at work. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the way that we've had over 30 plus volunteers already go through the doors over there in that building. When we walked out of church the other day to go pray, I didn't hear one complaint about us walking down that way. It, I've been places before. If you change the order of a prayer, people had a cat. Okay. It was like, I'm giving birth. Okay. We can't do that. And we, we, we walked out of the building. Tom didn't even know what's happening. He was like, all right, walking out of the building. He led the way. We didn't talk about that. God is at work in this fellowship and there's something to be thankful for. There is something to be thankful for. But there's a worry that we can always have. And here's what happens. Verse 10 through 17, if you read this with me. 1 Corinthians 10, or 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 17 says this. After he says all that good stuff, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you might be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, brothers. What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. I follow Christ. Paul asks, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized by my name. I did baptize also the house of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with the word of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So here's the thing. He's so thankful for what God's doing, the grace of God in the church and his sustaining grace and his powerful grace and all that kind of stuff. And then he moves to a problem. 
because this church has got problems. And here's one of them. I want you to be unified, to have the same mind. Okay. That doesn't mean there's no differences, but that means you are agreed on the one thing and the common goal, which is the glory of God in Christ. And for, to be a light and a witness and a testimony of the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth. That's what he's getting at. It's, it's about centered on Christ. Don't want to have any divisions, but they are, they have divided up amongst Bible teachers. Okay. So here's happened. Do you realize something? I want you to get this division in a church can happen over any number of things. Some things important, some things stupid. Okay. This there's, there's always, if you've been in church for any number of, of years, you've probably heard the joke about a church that has been divided because of the color of the carpet. Like they got upset and they had a knockdown drag. That is, you know why people joke about that? Because that has happened. And it's weird. Somebody's like, I believe burgundy is the right color. Like, who cares? I've, I've, I have heard a business meeting before. I was not in this church. But they were debating on whether to switch light bulbs from regular light bulbs to the new, uh, the new type of light bulb. And they were having, now it's LED would be the argument, but this was back when they were, you know, they had moved to the, the mercury ones or whatever. Um, I guess it's not mercury, but you know what I'm talking about. Like, so they had a, a like two session long business meeting about what light bulbs are we going to choose? In this particular situation in Corinth, they were divided about which Bible teacher, who baptized them, which Bible teacher they followed. That's what they that's what the question is in verse 11. Because Paul says, for it's been reported to me. I want you to be in division. I want you to be in unity. I want you to be unified around the same purpose, around Jesus, around the gospel. Not on the small things, but on the big things. Be united. Verse 11 says, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. There's a fight going on. And verse 12 says it. What it means is that each of you says, I follow Paul. You know who my favorite preacher is? Paul. You know why he's my favorite preacher? Wrote most of the New Testament. Boom. Okay. And then some people are like, uh, 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 you know who can really throw down with some preaching? Apollos. He's got a terrible name, but he can throw down with the word. That's my guy. And then some other people in church, I know you're saying, are you serious? Yeah. They may be wearing t-shirts and be like, Paul's my homeboy. Okay. And Apollos is my guy. And then it goes on. Someone say, I'm going to keep it old school. I'm going to keep it old school redneck fisherman. I follow Cephas, Peter. He was one of the original OGs with Jesus, hung around his disciples. That's my guy. I follow Cephas or Peter. And some are saying, I just, all you guys, you guys are fakers because I follow Christ. And then Paul says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? And you need to read that question. This is, he is being sarcastic. Verse 14, I thank God that I baptized none of you because I don't want any of you guys thinking because I baptized you something special is happening. Go down to verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross be empty of its power. So Paul, Paul is warning this church that divisions can arise amongst anything. There are divisions over Bible teachers. Come on, people. Now it happens today. If you follow in, you know who I, you know, the guy that I like to listen to is I like to listen to John Piper because I like, I like deep theology rooted in, in, in the word and in, in deep reformed theology. Some of you are like, you know who I like? Max Licato, because he makes me cry. Okay? 
Some of you are like, David Jeremiah just has the nicest speaking voice of all time. And he does. Okay? Some of you are like, I like a little Presbyterian on my plate, so I get me a little R.C. Sproul, and I feel good. And some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about. Google it, okay? Some of you are like, I like to defend the faith, and so I'm going to listen to Mr. Tim Keller or Mr. Ravi Zacharias, and if you don't like this, then... Okay, so now I've gone through all the hits, okay? And here's here's the point. There's a million things that can divide, But the one thing that is to unite us is what he's mentioned, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which Paul did not come speaking with eloquent words. It was not like, he's such a great orator. He's so good at speaking that that's how they were convinced. No, he is speaking the good news of what Christ has done to them. And so here's my call to us. I'm so thankful, and I hope you get that. I'm thankful to be your pastor. I'm thankful to be in a fellowship where God is on the move. I'm thankful to be in a fellowship that's not ultimately sustained by us, but is sustained by Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for the work God's doing in you. I'm thankful for the work God's doing in me. I'm thankful thankful for the work that we're going to get to do together. I'm thankful for that. But I want to warn us and caution us that divisions can arise, especially when we are, we are in the middle of a huge transition. And I want you to know something. My wife and I have been, I'm not very good at construction. I do the best I can. I am very enthusiastic as you could probably already tell, about most things. I'm like, let's do it, let's go, let's go. But my wife and I have remodeled several houses together. And we usually get along very well, okay? We really do. We've been married maybe 15 years. I remember that, July the 10th, okay? So we married 15 years. We get along very well, okay? Um, and uh, we rarely have fights, but there was a remodel that was happening in Florida many, many years ago. And it just never ended. Just would never end. So I wake up one morning and I walk into the laundry room and I trip over a whole bunch of just junk that was in there. So what would a normal human being do? Oh, fiddlesticks. And then go and like have your breakfast. I'll have some Captain Crunch. I something like a, a, a switch. Like you know, it's just it, I cracked. So I go Rah! and I take everything that's in the laundry room. Everything, the clothes, all the stuff. I chunk it into the backyard. I mutter, scream. I chunk every my toolbox. I throw everything in the backyard. Okay, and then I just yell nonsensical. I go get in the car and I leave. I don't even remember where I went, but I was gone for a long time. She was very concerned. Okay, because this is before texting. I'm not answering the phone. Okay, I left my flip phone at the house. Okay. Would, if you know me, would that have usually lit the fuse in me? No. By God's grace, I have been given a very long fuse, which was not the case early in my life as evidence. But God has been work at work in my life, thank God. If it was not for the grace of God in my life, who knows where I'd be. But would you normally react that way to tripping over something in your laundry room? If you do, please get help immediately. We'll pray for you after church. No. Why would that happen? Because the situation has pressed our sinfulness to a point of breaking. And then something small can become something big. 
there's a reason Paul tells them to be in one accord. And he says this, I appeal to you. I urge you strongly, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no vision, no division among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. He's appealing to them because we have to work for that. We have to let small offenses go. We have to turn the other cheek, as Jesus would say, to be in fellowship with one another. And we have to not let the small things become major things during this time because, you know, we are all stretched to the limit. And we are in this transition mode. So here's, here's a couple of good words for you. Don't lose your mind. If something, if something gets you upset, take at least 24 hours and don't think about it. I know. I've been mad too. I threw a bunch. I just told you in front. I told everybody here and on the internet that I threw everything in, the, in, in, uh, in my backyard. Okay? I get it. I, I've been there. But take 24 hours and say, hmm. Secondly, ask the question, is it really worth discussing it? Or can I get over it? Thirdly, is it worth the unity of the church being broken for this particular issue? Nine times out of ten. There are things that have to be dealt with. Don't get me wrong. Nine times out of ten, it's something you'd be like, eh. Especially if you give it 24 hours. It's like, eh, I slept. I had a sandwich. I feel better. We're good. And if we can do that, we are working to maintain this unity. Not Because there are many things in this particular place. They were divided over preachers. They can be divided over any number of things. Stay the course. Stay together. And then here's the number one thing. The cross of Jesus Christ. Verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize you, Paul said, but to preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus. His coming, his living a perfect life, him being the son of God, him living a perfect life, him dying on the cross to, to bear sins, him being raised again to show that God accepted the sacrifice to sin, of sin, for sin, and that he's ascended and he's coming again. That is our good news. And he's saying this, for Christ did not send me to baptize you, but to preach the gospel to you, and not with word, with, with eloquent words, Good words, words that tickle the ear. Why? Lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. This was the very first passage I ever preached on. I was in 10th grade. I was at a manual Baptist church in Panama City, Florida. I could barely see over the pulpit, which is almost the case now. <laughs> and I remember preaching this, and it still has not lost its power to me. To those who are outside who have not seen, the cross is foolishness. To think that 2,000 years ago, a Jewish carpenter was actually God's son. That he lived a perfect life. After we always say, nobody's perfect. Everybody makes mistakes. And that he demonstrated with power and with miracles that he was the son of God. The greatest miracle of which is he died on a cross willingly. God, the son, laying down his life willingly to be crucified and suffer a criminal's death. And then three days later to be raised. And for us in 2019 to put all of our hope in the fact that that man took our sin and that man makes us right with God is complete and utter foolishness unless you have been made to believe that by the Holy Spirit. And I say that on purpose because it is a work of God when you believe that. And I will tell you something. It was the work of God 
I am a natural, I question everything. I do not take anybody's word at face value. And I can tell you for sure that he overcame my unbelief and gave me a new heart. And now that is the story of my life and what I live for. And if you are in Christ, that is your story too. That it used to be foolishness, but now how could you ever bear your sins on your own? How could you ever? You can be right with God. How can you bear guilt? How can you live in this world of darkness apart from the hope of Jesus? If you're in Christ now, you don't, you can't even remember what it's like. It's hard to because now you have so much hope, even though there's a struggle. You have forgiveness of sins and what looks foolishness to the world. Like if I'm on an airplane, I'm telling you, I follow a Jewish carpenter who I believe is God and who rose from the dead. You sound like a, a psycho. But, he's, but then you, when you know the power of the cross, you're like, yes, that is how sins are forgiven. That is how I know God. That is where I know God loves me. That is where I know God cares. That is where I know God is just and holy and good. It's in the cross. And to those who are perishing, it's foolish. But to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God because it took you from death to life. It changed your life. I'm going to call you this. We can be thankful. We need to watch division. You know why? Because it's not about us. It's not about me. It's about the cross of Christ. I want you to, I, I wish sometimes I could relay how deeply the message of the Christ, the message of the cross is affecting. I wish sometimes that I could peel back my soul and show you. I wish sometimes I could clear the heavens and you could see how beautiful the cross is. How great it is that God would love you in your sin. How great it is that God would come in the person of Jesus and he would bear your sins. How great it is that God would not look upon you and see your sin, but he would now see Christ's finished work. How great it is that you would not just see Christ's finished work, but now you have experienced adoption. Not only that, you used to be dead in your sins and dead to the things of God, but in Christ, he makes you alive to the things of God. I wish we could just pull back the veil and see the glory of the cross. With our own eyes, but I'm telling you, it's a, it has to be a work of the Spirit for you to pass from death to life. And here's the good news, and here's why it's so important that we remain together. Because we have this great message, which is foolishness to the world, but to us, and to us when we preach it, it's the power of God. What is it that God can't do? We're not dealing with our limited power. The cross is the power of God. The explosive, life-changing, world-altering power of God. And we, 
as we love each other and we proclaim the gospel and we try to walk with the testimony, we are God's, as the church, as the local church, we are God's plan to get the good news of this folly to the world, but the power of God to everyone. And we, we get that. And that's why it's so important that we remain thankful and we remain vigilant about our, vigilant about our unity and that we remember it's about the cross. And so here, as we wrap it up today, here's my plea. If you don't know Jesus, if the cross has been foolishness, but it clicks today, would you turn from your sins and trust Christ? Just right where you are. It's as simple as saying, I have sinned, God. I believe in the power of the cross. I turn from my sins and I trust you and I'll follow you. That's it. Boom. Turn to him. He's that good. Secondly, if you're in here today and there's been some tension, some stuff, get get over it. The cross is bigger. And I mean that, I say get over it in love. I tell my family, get over it all the time, okay? And they have to say the thing back to me. By get over it, I mean, go to somebody, make it right. Like, let the pride fall down because our, our unity is way more important than us and how we feel. It's about the cross of Christ, which is the power of God. Thirdly, I'll tell you this. If we are in here, I, I just pray that as we take communion in a few minutes, that a sense of awe will kind of come over us as we consider the cross is represented in these elements. Jesus' body broken and his blood spilled. And if we, we can, you know, we think sometimes worship is just a part of the, 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 the service where we sing and we get, no, worship is the whole thing. And part of worship is this. And so I'm going to invite our communion team forward who will become the offering team in just a minute again. Communion team, if you would come forward, we're going to pass around. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, we invite you to partake in this with us. This, these elements represent, it's in two cups and one's on top of the other. These elements, the juice and the bread, represent the body of Jesus broken and his blood spilled for the remission of sins, for the, our redemption, for our being bought back from sin and death to have a new life. In a moment, after this is passed out, we're going to take a minute of silent prayer and reflection as we kind of sit in awe of the cross of Christ. In a moment, we'll take this together. And as we ingest this, we are talking about our need for Christ and his finished work. And we are celebrating what Jesus has done. So if you would, as the elements are being passed out, if you're a believer, we invite you to partake with us. We'll take it together in a minute, but let us in these moments think about and sit in awe and worship of the cross of Christ. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was in the upper room with his disciples. When he had taken bread, he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Take it and eat. In like manner, he was up in the upper room with his disciples. He took the cup after supper and said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Take it and drink. As often as we do this, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. God bless you and keep you. If you would stand, we're going to be dismissed with these words of benediction. This is good news for us. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Walk in the power of God in Christ. You are dismissed.